Good morning. Good morning. I'm Daniel, and I'll be taking us into the book of Acts today. And I invite you to pray with me as we get ready to hear from the Lord through his word. Uh, Jesus, this morning, as I was praying, you just brought to my mind, um, you were telling a story about two people who came to pray. One was a tax collector, the other was a Pharisee, and the Pharisee looked over at the tax collector and started praying, thank you, Lord, that I'm not like such men. Thank you that I'm holy and I do all this stuff right. And then the tax collector was just like, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. <clears throat> and Jesus, in the presence of everybody who was listening, he said, and God heard the tax collector's prayer, not the Pharisee. So Jesus, that's how we come to you this morning, just poor and needy, and we just ask for your mercy. Because I'm sure like me, many people here have many areas that they can think of, even just the last couple of days, um, where, man, I've just fallen short, Lord. And I'm so unworthy to, of my own merit, I'm so unworthy to even have any relationship with you, but I just am so thankful for Jesus this morning that we in Christ are invited to boldly approach the throne of grace and to come knowing that we are dearly loved children and that we can find help and mercy in a time of need. And we do just admit our need for you this morning. We want to hear from you, Lord. So we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, I have a friend, his name is Carson, and he's, uh, he's actually a pastor at an EFCA church uh, in Colorado. And he is just a super funny, goofy, fun guy. He's the guy where if you're sitting like in a restaurant somewhere and you hear like the loudest, most contagious laugh from across the room, it's probably Carson. And um, he, he does this thing that like when he tells you, that he does it, everybody's like shocked. But this thing he does is he runs ultra marathons. And it's like totally unexpected when he says it because he kind of looks more like a football player kind of, I mean, he's, he's like a healthy fit guy, but he looks, he's like a bigger built kind of football player kind of dude. But he's like, yeah, I, I run ultra marathons. And these ultra marathons are like hundred mile races where you run for 24 plus hours. He was telling me that on his, when he does these races, the pacing he tries to set, um, he's not trying to win by any means. He's just trying to finish. And so the pace that he sets for himself is to hit 18 minute miles. And so for anybody who runs, for me, it's like, I don't think I can even do that one mile. Um, but for anybody who runs, you're like, oh, that's pretty slow. But do that a hundred times now, right? And so he's like, that's just the pace that you have to, 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 to take, otherwise you technically don't finish in time. So he, that, that's the race. And he was telling me about this. He was saying, he's like, yeah, he's like, when you do these things, it's 90% it's mental. And then the other 10% is all in your brain. <laughs> because, yes, okay, some of you are awake. So, but he, like, he's like saying like this, he, obviously he trains. There's, it's a very physical thing. But for most of us, it's like, I can't even make it around the big lake. 
right? And he's, and he's running for 100 miles, and I'm, you know, and I'm huffing and puffing after 30 minutes on the stair-steppy thing at the Y. So it's a totally different kind of endurance. I mean, it's like mind-blowing that anybody would do that. And I think most of us, when we hear about that, like it's so impressive that I sort of feel cool saying that I know somebody who did that. <laughs> like, obviously, I haven't done that, nor probably will I ever do that. And most of us in this room will never do it. And as I'm looking around, it's probably good because many of us would die. <laughs> but as we, as we hear about something like that, a feat of endurance that's so kind of next level kind of stuff, we kind of kindly excuse ourselves. <laughs> Sort of like, that's not, that's crazy that you're a crazy person. Good for you. I'm going to stay over here like a sane person on my couch. And I think the same thing happens when we read a passage like we're going to read today. Because we're going to see some amazing endurance in the book of Acts. People enduring hardship that we can't even really relate to. And we kind of kindly excuse ourselves like, that's just not me. And so I want to set the stage with that and just see how the Holy Spirit would encourage us through his word today. So we're going to jump into Acts chapter 14. We'll start in verse 1. That seems like a good place to start. Uh, follow along in your Bibles around the screen. It says, In Iconium, they entered the Jewish synagogue as usual and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. Now, this is, sorry, this is talking about uh, specifically about Paul and Barnabas who are on this um, missionary journey. So, uh, so it says, so they stayed there a long time and spoke boldly for the Lord who testified to the message of his grace by enabling them to do signs and wonders. But the people of the city were divided, some siding with the Jews and other with the apostles when an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to mistreat and stone them, they found out about it and fled to the Lyconian towns of Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding countryside. There they continued preaching the gospel. So as I first started to read through this passage, one of the things that kind of surprised me or caught me off guard, because again, one of the things that I always do as I'm reading the Bible is I'm trying to relate with these real people who are going through these real situations in history. And so I'm just thinking about myself. Like if I was in this situation, how would I be feeling? How would I be reacting? And one of the first things that really hit me is how it talks about how there was this pressure as they came into Iconium. They, there was this pressure and it says in midst of the pressure, they stayed there a long time and spoke boldly. And it just hit me because it was like, man, that, I don't think that's my mentality naturally. As soon as there's some hardships and pressure, I'm like, where's the exit? How can I pull the ripcord? And it says that they just stayed and they kept speaking, speaking boldly. And God enabled them to, to, to experience some amazing miracles. And, uh, and then when they found out there was this big plot to stone them, they left but they just went and kept doing the missionary thing. Wow, it's raining now. Okay, we noticed it. Um, okay, so then, <laughs> it's funny, I just saw so many people look at each other like, it's raining. <laughs> yes, it is. Thank you, Lord. Um, 
Oh, man. We're so human. Okay. Um, it's awesome. I love it. So, so obviously, like, these guys have a different mentality than we tend to have. And I think often one of the things that I was like, why, why is it so different? Why do we read passages like this and just see them responding so differently to circumstances than I feel like I do or like many of us in the church in America would? I think often one of the things that, that it kind of leads to this is that in the West or like in America, when we come to Jesus, we do so because we receive this kind of message that's generally to the tune of Jesus will make your life better. And that's kind of how we receive the gospel oftentimes. And again, that, there's nothing like inherently necessarily wrong with that. I think sometimes the way that we, sometimes the way the gospel is preached is not, is not, is, is, can be misleading. And sometimes just the way, because of where we're at and the way we receive it, sometimes we just don't fully comprehend it. And certainly when any of us receives the gospel, we don't fully comprehend it. There is a wealth of just glory to experience and to discover in Jesus. And we'll be doing that for the rest of eternity with the angels being like, oh my goodness, this is crazy. So anyway, um, but I think oftentimes we receive the gospel and it, and it, and it sort of comes in that form. And again, what it, however you kind of receive that. I know at three years old that I was listening to this song and some of the lyrics were come into my heart, Lord Jesus. And I asked my mom what that meant. And as at three years old, I kind of, I'm sure she gave me a way better kind of explanation of the gospel than this. But what I heard was you invite Jesus into your heart and then you get to go to heaven, which is true. And at three years old, I was smart enough to know that sounds like a good deal. So I prayed and I invited Jesus into my heart and, and he saved me and it's awesome. And, I, and I'm, I'll be in heaven someday. Like I'll be on the new earth with Jesus. And that's, that's incredible. That's incredible. It's so true. And so maybe, maybe that's how we hear it. We hear Jesus will get you to heaven. Jesus will forgive your sins and kind of take away this crushing guilt that you feel. Um, Jesus will give you peace where you're experiencing all this anxiety and stuff. And Jesus can heal. Um, all of these things are absolutely true about Jesus. But sometimes because of just our cultural baggage that we sometimes bring to the gospel and, and, and maybe other factors too, sometimes we miss the bigger picture. Because when I read the Bible, certainly Jesus takes dead people and makes them alive. So our life gets infinitely better when we give our lives to Jesus because we didn't have one and then we do. So in that sense, absolutely. And yes, we, we do get an assurance of salvation. Our sins are forgiven. He removes our guilt. He changes us from the inside out. We begin to experience peace and joy that go beyond understanding. All these things are absolutely true. But just because Jesus changes us from the inside out doesn't mean our lives just magically get easier though. In fact, what it seems like for these early Christians is it actually makes their life much, much harder. For many people around the world, uh, they, just, they just know if they accept Jesus, their life is going to be harder. That they're going to lose familial or friendships like relationships. That they, that they will be persecuted in different ways. Maybe for some, in some places there's threats of prison, maybe even death. Um, you know, it's, so certain people in other places of the world, they just innately understand I'm coming to Jesus because he saves me, not because he's going to make my life more comfortable. And that's something I think we miss a lot in America. And so sometimes 
Um, and, and I think we just, we just see that in scriptures. It just, it's just so clear. And in this passage, it's like, is Jesus making these guys' life, lives better? Maybe not in the sense we mean, and they're certainly not more comfortable, right? Um, and so something that we just need to wrestle with and, and just something that needs to be clear, it needs to be an expectation in our minds is that following Jesus is not going to be easy. Because when you, you might hear somebody that kind of leads you on in that way and kind of tells you the gospel in that way, but when you actually read the Bible, you see pretty quickly that's not true. And when you start to follow Jesus, you see pretty quickly that's not true. Now, just taking Paul as an, as an example, right? Because him and Barnabas are kind of the ones, we, we have not a ton of information on Barnabas. His name just pops up um, as far as just, he's just always being an encouraging partner, ministry partner. Paul, we have a little more information on his conversion and things like that. But, you know, Paul didn't come to Jesus because Jesus was going to make his life more comfortable. Because he had a lot of stuff going for him. He kind of talks about it in Philippians. He talks about his pedigree. He was like an up-and-coming young Jewish leader, and he was going to be somebody. And he was kind of taking this mantle of leadership. And specifically, he thought he was doing an amazing thing by going around and persecuting these kind of uh, anti-Jewish heretics called Christians. And he thought he was serving God. So he's going, doing his doing his business, doing his thing. And all of a sudden Jesus appears to him and he has this encounter with the living God. And like happens all the time in scripture, when anybody comes face to face with God, they just are immediately convicted. Like, woe is me. I'm a sinner. If God doesn't forgive me, I'm toast. And then when they experience the grace and love of God, they're like, all right, here I am, send me. And it's a totally, it, it, it might be a totally different um, kind of experience or mentality, and, and it sets up different expectations for what it looks like to live a Christian life, I think. And so just, um, just like I think today, and, and this is just kind of a, this is a little bit of a side, a, a little bit of an aside, but I think when we, when we accept Jesus in a culture that generally, it, that's, that's a generally accepted practice, or even I would say, you know, especially, you know, 30, 50 years ago in America, it was kind of like if you asked anybody, what, what's, your, what's your religion, what's your faith? Most people would just say they were Christian, whether, whether there was any real relationship with Jesus or not. But it was basically a way of saying like, I'm a good person. And it's, it's becoming less and less so that way. I think many of us mourn that. But, and, and, and I think even some of us might be alarmed for the future of, you know, for your kids, or your grandkids or whatever. Personally, this is one of the reasons I'm excited for my kids' future in Jesus. Because they're going to be following Jesus in a culture where it's not just the norm. And it's not just like a moral badge that you wear. At best, it's seen as unnecessary. Like, why would you put that on yourself when you could live with so much more freedom? And at, and, and at much worse, you know, they're going to be seen as bigoted, homophobic, you know, whatever you fill in what the cultural idea of Christianity is. So it's going to give an opportunity for my kids and then for those who, who maybe will decide to follow Jesus because of my kids' influence. They'll be choosing Jesus not because they, they understand already that it's not to make their life more comfortable. 
Like if I, if I put my, you know, if I ca cast my lot in with Jesus, then this is gonna make my life a lot less comfortable. But I'm still doing it because I see that Jesus is Lord and only Jesus can save me. <laughs> and because Jesus has a beautiful home for, you know, it's a different starting point. So I'm excited for my kids in that regard. Um, okay, let's continue on in the passage. Verses 8 through 18, it says, In Lystra, a man was... So again, they, they moved from the city. They've moved on to some others. And, and then what happened in Lystra is a man was sitting who was without strength in his feet, had never walked, had been lame from birth. So basically, as lame as you can get. He listened as Paul spoke after direct... Uh, looking directly at him and seeing that he had faith to be healed, Paul said in a loud voice, stand up on your feet. And he jumped up and began to walk around. So this is kind of an interesting thing that we see happen in scripture that Paul is, you know, addressing a crowd and somehow, whether, you know, God brought a thought to his mind or somehow he kind of highlighted this guy for him that basically God, God let Paul know that, hey, I want to heal that guy. And so Paul, in the middle of addressing this crowd. He's like, hey, you, stand up. <laughs> it's kind of gutsy, but the guy does it. He, he gets up and he starts walking around and you can imagine the commotion that happens in the crowd. And look how the crowd responds. It says, when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted, saying in the Lyconian language, the, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas, they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose, temples, whose temple was just outside the town, brought bulls and wreaths to the gate because he intended with the crowds to offer sacrifice. The apostles Barnabas and Paul tore their robes when they heard this and rushed into the crowd shouting, people, why are you doing these things? We are people also just like you. And we are proclaiming good news to you that you turn from these worthless things to the living God who made heaven, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to go their own way, although he did not leave himself without a witness. Since he did what is good by giving you rain from heaven and fruitful seasons and filling you with food and your hearts with joy, even though they said these things, they barely stopped the crowds from sacrificing to them. It's like that did not go well. They didn't get it at all. <laughs> they were like, oh, sweet, more evidence of the religion that we already believe. And they're like, oh, no. Like, so it just, it was like, it didn't go well. And, you know, without getting into it too much, the one thing that I want us to take from this, okay, so again, a couple things. Number one, sometimes when you share about Jesus, some people are just not going to get it, and that's okay. Okay, that's okay. Um, but what I love is that and, and what I see in, in this specific part of the passage is that God gives good gifts to those, even to those who won't receive them. And we just see that so clearly in the person of Jesus. Right, John 3, 16, God loved the whole world and to the whole world, he gave his son. But not everybody receives that gift. He still gave anyway. God's okay with giving gifts that are rejected. He was okay with coming and, and, uh, and giving this lame man the gift of his, um, you know, being able to walk, even though it wasn't going to result in, you know, a huge, a bunch of conversions or whatever. I just think that's beautiful about the Lord. And I, it also makes me question about myself. Like where, where, I, where am I and where do I tend to have conditions on the way that I express generosity 
or extend love to people or relationship. Let's continue. Uh, Verses 19 and 20, it says, some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. When they won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city thinking he was dead. After the disciples gathered around him, he got up and went into the town. The next day he left with Barnabas for Derbe. So this, this just kind of went from, from like disappointing to like really bad. Like it was disappointing that nobody understood what Paul and Barnabas were trying to, you know, they didn't understand the gospel. But then these people who had been opposing them the whole time show up and basically incite everybody. Hey, I know yesterday you thought these guys were gods. Today, let's stone them. And so Paul gets stoned and apparently like within an inch of his life, like they thought they had killed him. And then also it doesn't straight up say this, but it seems apparent that God miraculously healed him so that he was able to get up and go back in the town and then the next day continue on in his missionary journey. That's, that's what it seems to be inferring. And again, I just put myself in Paul's place and I think about having this experience And he has a very different trajectory after this moment than I feel like I would. Because maybe up to this moment, you know, he's, he's definitely experienced some, some tough stuff, but you know, it's probably always like he had in this other town, he had the threat of being stoned. They left, they kind of narrowly avoided it. It's probably something, I mean, certainly something I would never want to experience, but now he's experienced it. And yes, it's amazing that God miraculously healed him. But I just feel like if it was me, I would be like, wow, that was horrible. And it's, yes, it's great that God miraculously healed me. I feel good now, but I am genuinely traumatized from this. And I'm going to need, I'm going to need a minute before I'm ready to get back out there. And so And that's not what Paul does. And it just makes me wonder, like, what is the deal? Because I I really believe if I experienced this, I probably would be genuinely traumatized. (laughs) And I would have a hard time wanting to go, knowing that I could go to the next town and these same people could follow me again and I could be stoned again. And then, you know, who knows if God will miraculously heal me that time again or not. It would be really hard to get back up and keep going. It just makes me wonder, where does this, in, this kind of endurance come from? Where? How, how, how is his interaction with reality so different than what I feel like mine would often be? Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, I think, gives us a good answer. It says, therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. See, Paul had very different expectations, I think, than I do. I would be traumatized by that experience because honest, in a lot of ways, like, I would not be expecting it. Like on one hand, it's like, yeah, I know that maybe could happen, but God would never actually let that happen. You know, I'm doing what he's asking me to do. And so, but 
Paul obviously has a different mentality than that. And as the writer of Hebrews writes, it's, it really changes our expectations for life when we actually look at Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith, the one that went first and showed us what it looked like to live a life full of the Holy Spirit, look, looks like to live a life embodying the image of God. And I think for many of us, we've shown up thinking that Christianity is just about getting a nice jog in every Sunday morning with our running club. And then maybe if you're really committed, you'll do a, you know, you'll do a quick run on your own throughout the week and spend some time in God's word or something. But I think other believers around the world and, uh, and the great cloud of witnesses, they know that we're signing up for an ultra marathon here. This is every moment of every day kind of stuff. This is every part of my life. It's something, it costs everything. And I think often the church in America here looks like me, <laughs> wheezing after 30 minutes on the stair stepper, wheezing after COVID, wheezing about the political climate, wheezing about the cultural shifts. And the great cloud of witnesses and other believers around the world are like, come on guys, that's just the first 5k. You can do this. There's so much more in Jesus. There's so much more in Jesus than that. You can do this. And so where do we get this endurance? Like the writer of Hebrews says, it's by living in view of the crucified and risen Jesus. Paul says it many times in his letters. He's like, the only thing that I'm going to talk about is Christ crucified in his resurrection. It's the only thing I'm going to talk about. You know, all that stuff that I thought was so important about me before, all the stuff that I thought made my life a good life, it's garbage. It's garbage compared to knowing Jesus. For his sake, I'm willing to give up everything that I might gain Christ. It's a different perspective because I think for me, you know, me and my wife, uh, you know, like we... Um, we're a little bit dumb because we have three kids ages four and under. That was not smart. And for any of you, any of you who have been uh, parents, you know those moments. Our, our, our youngest, Kana, well, I mean, all of our kids have issues. Um, I don't know why. But... You know, every kid has their unique issues, but Eden as a baby, she was a great baby. She was like, just put me down and I'll just fall asleep. Like, don't hold me. In fact, she would have a hard time sleeping if we were holding her. She was just like, just leave me alone. And man, that was nice. Because Seth was like, never leave me alone. And he did not sleep through the night for 22 months. And then finally, he started sleeping through the night in this last February. And then in July, we had Cana. And she cries all the time. And it's horrible. And so me and Amber Lynn, again, if you're a parent, you've been here. There are those moments where you're, it's late at night. It's the middle of the day and your baby's been crying all day. And you're like, Jesus, please help me. And you wait a couple seconds and you're like, come on. 
do you even love me? <laughs> and so we were just talking about this and I was like, man, like, so, and you know, and it's not, one of the things that I never want to do, I never want to minimize anybody's struggle or pain or difficulty because the Bible doesn't do that. The Bible talks about there's tons of different kinds of pain and trials and suffering that you can go through. So it's not about comparing, but I just know me and Amberlynn were talking about, you know, this dynamic of sometimes it's just like life just feels hard. It just feels like why does, there ha why does life have to be this hard? And, and it just can boil, like it can bubble up all of these doubts and questions about God and our relationship with him. And like, and like you know, does prayer even work? And all, you know, whatever, all these different doubts that can come up in your mind. And it was just good for us to talk about a while back, um, just other people around the world who, who decide to follow Jesus, knowing that their life is going to get a lot harder. I was like, man, I just... I just recognize in myself, I don't know anything about endurance. That I'm blessed with these amazing children who, yeah, it's difficult. It's hard work, absolutely. But they're such a blessing. And in the midst of experiencing God's blessing, like this truly is, I'm experiencing God's blessing in my life. I'm, I'm doubting his love. I know nothing of endurance. And I need the Holy Spirit to keep training me. But I think we, like, so we need to learn to live in view of the crucified and risen Jesus because it sets up our expectations. For any of us who have been baptized, we've literally been baptized into this. Like that is what the symbol of baptism represents, is Jesus' death and resurrection. That that would be the pattern of our life. That we would experience like death that leads to life. And not just, not just in this kind of ideological sense, but in the reality of our lives, in the situations, the real happenings of our life, that we would experience death that leads to life, humility that leads to glory and suffering and sacrificial love that leads to like a harvest of souls, the same kind of stuff that Jesus did. Paul had already decided that he was going to live and die for Jesus and he was going to experience a, a resurrection like Jesus's. And so it just helps us with our expectations when we see who Jesus is and what he did, that that's what we should expect for our life. Let's wrap up in the last few verses here of the chapter. It says, after they preached the gospel in that town and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, to Iconium. Remember, these are places where they were not well liked. They returned to these places, strengthening the disciples by encouraging them to continue in the faith and by telling them, imagine if this was the sermon you got on Sunday. I suppose it is. <laughs> it is necessary to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. They encouraged the disciples by saying, it is necessary to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. You feel encouraged? Amen. I do. Because this is just real life, isn't it? It's just real life. And when we look at the person of Jesus, it's just so evident that this is what life is supposed to look like following Jesus. When they had appointed elders for them in every church and prayed with fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. They passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. 
After they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. From there, they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had now completed. After they arrived and gathered the church together, they reported everything God had done with them and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they spent a considerable time with the disciples. So in the midst of all of these personal hardships, we still get this bigger view that God's family is growing. And that in all these places that they went, even if it was a horrible experience, that God is forming these communities of people who are just radically being changed by Jesus and saying no to a comfortable life, but saying yes to eternal life. And they're establishing these communities all over the place. And honestly, you and I are here because of this. <laughs> we are here because of these early believers. So the thing that I want us to kind of end with and just wrestle with is, is finally this, that following Jesus is costly, but it's worth it. It is costly. Jesus encouraged people all the time. He's like, hey, if you want to follow me, you need to know what you're getting into. You need to count the cost. He told many parables about this. He talked about people. He's like, if you try to build a tower, you first see if you have the money to complete it. Or he talks about this guy who found out that there was this treasure buried in the field and he sold everything he had to buy that field. So Jesus encourages people to count the cost. And I was just thinking about this, like, our, you know, my life is short as, as a, you know, I don't know, I don't know exactly what the statistics are for a, you know, for a white male growing up in the, in Minnesota, but, you know, I don't know, 70 something years on average. That's, that's what I get here. And with all the, you know, other stuff that goes along with the happenings of those 70 years, the stuff I will own and lose and the relationships I will have and lose and these kind of things. And I just was thinking about how do you even compare that to eternity? <laughs> you, how do you even begin? How do I even be able, like, how am I able, even able to begin to compare the experiences that I can have in this life that our culture is saying, like, live for now. Do what you want to do because this is all you get. How do I even begin to compare that to eternity with Jesus? I can't. That I would trade this short amount of time that I have to know Christ personally and hopefully that I would trade the things that God's given me right now to see other people come along with me. Other people's eternities changed. It's an amazing exchange. So we need to count the cost. We need to know what we're trading. We are trading our idea of a comfortable life, but we're trading it for eternal life. <laughs> so just like one of the stories, and I'll invite the band to come up as we wrap up with this, but... Um, one of the things that I have not been able to move past is one of the well-known stories of the gospels. Jesus is talking to this guy that is called the rich young ruler. And he comes up and he's like, hey, teacher, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And there's kind of this undertone that he thinks that Jesus is basically gonna give him a, a pat on the back. 
Like, man, you're doing great. And it kind of starts out that way. Jesus is like, well, here's some of the Ten Commandments. And he's like, yeah, I've done all of that. And he's feeling really good about himself. And then Jesus says, all right, perfect. Then just sell all you have and give it to the poor. And the guy's like, I don't think it's worth it. And he goes away sad. And I've just felt convicted by that. And I've just been, you know, in a certain way, just had this, this prayer that it's like, man, God, especially for me personally, and also for our church family, Jesus, would we not walk away sad? When you ask us to give of ourselves for your kingdom, would we not walk away sad? Would we get it right just to understand that what we have is not even worth comparing to the greatness of knowing Christ? It's not even comparable. So as we wrap up with this final song, just want to give an opportunity and just encourage you to spend this time, just, just spend it listening to Jesus and just allowing his spirit to bring some things to mind. Because I think for some of us, we need to recognize that we, maybe we haven't counted the cost. Maybe, maybe the whole time, we've been, and, and I don't even know, you could have been coming to church for decades. And this whole time you thought that this was just a Sunday jogging club. And it's like, all right, cool. See you guys next week. And this morning, the Holy Spirit's like, no, I'm calling you to do every single day, every moment of every day with me. And maybe some of you just need to wrestle with that and be like, man, did I even accept the real Jesus? <laughs> did I accept the real gospel? And so maybe for some of us where that's at, that, or that's where we're at. And for others, it's just, maybe there are just some adjustments that Jesus wants us to make in our life. Maybe we've been a little bit tight-fisted with certain things. Man, has anybody had kids and then realized they had an anger issue they didn't know they had? Oh. Man, it's so discouraging. <laughs> and it's such a good reminder of the grace of God for me, man. I had to apologize to my kids so many times this last week, it's embarrassing. But man, we have such a gracious heavenly father who's like, come on, let's keep going. You got this. So I just want to invite you to do that. Again, sometimes as we, as we respond, especially the, the, this, this moment we have, the end of the service, it's easy to check out and be like, okay, what are we doing for lunch? Who's playing whatever football game today or whatever? It's easy to go there. I just encourage you, just stay with the Holy Spirit for a little bit longer. And maybe you don't even sing this song. Um, you know, we'll in, I'll invite you to stand and sing, but maybe you just stay seated. And maybe you just say, all right, Jesus, I'm available. And just see if he brings something to mind. If not, that's okay. He still loves you. The only thing that matters is that, that you're his child, that you've given him your life. But just say, all right, I'm available. So let's do that now. Jesus, we give you this time. We give you this moment. We just, we just uh, again, just want to claim this space as a, as, a, as a space and a time for people to hear from your spirit. We pray against anything that would, that would muddy the waters or cause us not to be able to hear, that would distract us. And we just pray that we would clearly hear from your Holy Spirit, each and every one of us individually, exactly what we need to hear in this moment. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's worship together.